Chapter Ten, Part Two of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. To volunteer or for more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by T. K. Kirvin. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter Ten, Part Two. On the morrow. Gertrude awoke with the image of the approaching examination before her eyes, and, while she was considering if and how she could seize this most decisive opportunity to draw back, she was summoned by the prince. "'Courage, my child,' said he, "'until now you have behaved admirably, and it only remains today to crown the work. All that has been done hitherto has been done with your consent. If, in this interval, any doubts had arisen in your mind, any misgivings or youthful regrets, you ought to have expressed them. But at the point at which we have now arrived, it is no longer the time to play the child. The worthy man who is coming to you this morning will ask you a hundred questions about your election, and whether you go of your own good will, and why, and how, and what not besides. If you tantalize him in your replies, he will keep you under examination. I don't know how long. It would be an annoyance and a weariness to you, and it might produce a still more serious effort. After all, the public demonstrations that have been made, every little hesitation you may display will risk my honor, and may make people think that I have taken a momentary fancy of yours for a settled resolution. That I have rushed headlong into the business, that I have, what not, in this case, I shall be reduced to the necessity of choosing between two painful alternatives, either to let the world form a derogatory judgment of my conduct, a course which I absolutely cannot take in justice to myself, or to reveal the true motive of your resolution, and, by here observing that Gertrude colored crimson, that her eyes became inflamed and her face contracted like the petals of a flower in the sultry heat that precedes a storm, he broke off this strain, and continued with a serene face. Come, come, all depends upon yourself, upon your judgment. I know that you are not deficient in it, and that you are not a child to go spoil a good undertaking just at the conclusion. But I must foresee and provide for all contingencies. Let us say no more about it. Only let me feel assured that you will reply with frankness so as not to excite suspicion in the mind of this worthy man. Thus you, also, will be set at liberty the sooner. Then after suggesting a few answers to the probable interrogations that would be put, he entered upon the usual topic of the pleasures and enjoyments prepared for Gertrude at the monastery, and contrived to detain her on this subject till a servant announced the arrival of the examiner. After a hasty repetition of the most important hints, he left his daughter alone with him, according to the usual custom. The good man came with a slight preconceived opinion that Gertrude had a strong desire for a cloistral life, because the prince had told him so when he went to request his attendance. It is true that the good priest, we knew well enough that mistrust was one of the most necessary virtues of his office, held as a maxim that he should be very slow in believing such protestations, and should be on his guard against preconceptions. But it seldom happens that the positive affirmations of a person of such authority, in whatever matter, do not give a bias to the mind of those who hear them. After the usual salutations, 
Signora, said he, I am coming to act the part of the tempter. I have come to excite doubts, where your request expresses certainty, to place difficulties before your eyes, and to assure myself whether you have well considered them. Will you allow me to ask you some questions? Proceed, replied Gertrude. The worthy priest then began to question her in the usual prescribed forms. Do you feel in your heart a free, voluntary resolution to become a nun? Have no threatenings, no flatteries been resorted to? Has no authority been made use of to persuade you to this step? Speak without reserve and with perfect sincerity to a man whose duty it is to ascertain your unbiased will, that he may prevent your being compelled by any exercise of force to take such a course. The true answer to such a demand rose up before Gertrude's mind with fearful distinctness, but to make that reply she must come to an explanation. She must disclose what she had been threatened with, and relate a story. The unhappy girl shrank back in horror from such an idea, and tried to find some other reply, which would more speedily release her from this unpleasant interview. I wish to take the veil, said she, concealing her agitation. I wish to take the veil at my own desire, voluntarily. How long have you had this desire? again demanded the good priest. I have always felt it, replied Gertrude rendered after this first step more unscrupulous about speaking the truth but what is the principal motive that induces you to become a nun the good priest little knew what a terrible chord he was touching and gertrude had to make a great effort not to betray in her countenance the effect which these words produced on her mind as she replied my motive is to serve god and to fly the perils of the world may there not have been some disgust some excuse me some caprice there are times when a passing cause may make an impression that seems at the moment sure to be lasting but afterwards when the cause is removed and the mind calmed then no no replied gertrude precipitately the reason is exactly what i have told you the vicar rather to discharge his duty faithfully than because he thought it necessary persisted in his inquiries but gertrude was resolved to deceive him Besides the horror she felt at the thought of making him acquainted with her weakness, when he seemed so far from suspecting her of anything of the kind, the poor girl thought that though he could certainly easily prevent her taking the veil, yet that there was the end of his authority over her, or his power of protection. When once he had gone, she would be left alone with the prince, and of what she would then have to endure in that house. The worthy priest could know nothing, or even if he did, he could only pity her. The examiner was tired of questioning, before the unfortunate girl of deceiving him, and, finding her replies invariably consistent, and having no reason to doubt their sincerity, he at last changed his tone, and said all he could to confirm her in her good resolution, and, after congratulating her, he took his leave. Passing through one of the apartments, he met with the prince, who appeared to fall in with him accidentally and congratulated him on the good dispositions his daughter had displayed. The prince had been waiting in a very wearisome state of suspense, but, on receiving this account, he breathed more freely, and, forgetting his usual gravity, he almost ran to Gertrude, and loaded her with commendations, caresses, and promises, with cordial satisfaction, and a tenderness of manner, to a great degree sincere. Such a strange medley is the human heart. We will not follow Gertrude in her continual round of sights and amusements, nor will we describe, 
either generally or particularly, the feelings of her mind during this period. It would be a history of sorrows and fluctuations too monotonous and too much resembling what we have already related. The beauty of the surrounding seats, the continual variety of objects, and the pleasant excursions in the open air rendered the idea of the place where she most shortly alight for the last time more odious to her than ever. Still more painful were the impressions made upon her by the assemblies and amusements of the city. The sight of a bride, in the more obvious and common sense of the word, aroused in her envy and anguish, to a degree almost intolerable. And sometimes the sight of some other individual made her feel as if to hear that title given to herself would be the height of felicity. There were even times when the pomp of palaces, the splendor of the ornaments, and the excitement and clamorous festivity of the conversation so infatuated her and aroused in her such an ardent desire to lead a gay life that she resolved to recant and to suffer anything rather than turn to the cold and death-like shade of the cloister but all these resolutions vanished into air on the calmer consideration of the difficulties of such a course or on merely raising her eyes to the prince's face sometimes too the thought that she must forever abandon these enjoyments made even this little taste of them bitter and wearisome to her as the patient suffering with thirst eyes with vexation and almost refuses with contempt the spoonful of water the physician unwillingly allows him in the meanwhile the vicar of the nuns had dispatched the necessary attestation and permission arrived to hold the conference for the election of gertrude the meeting was called two-thirds of the secret votes which were required by the regulations were given as was to be expected and gertrude was accepted she herself wearied with this long struggle begged for immediate admission into the monastery and no one came forward to oppose such a request she was therefore gratified in her wish and after being pompously conducted to the monastery she assumed the habit after twelve months of novitiate full of alternate regret and repentings the time of public confession arrived that is to say the time when she must either utter a no more strange more unexpected and more disgraceful than ever or pronounce a yes already so often repeated she pronounced it and became a nun for ever it is one of the peculiar and incommunicable properties of the christian religion that she can afford guidance and repose to all who or in whatever exigence have recourse to her if there is a remedy for the past she prescribes it administers it and lends light and energy to put it in force at whatever cost if there is none she teaches how to do that effectually and in reality which the world prescribes proverbially make a virtue of necessity she teaches how to continue with discretion what is thoughtlessly undertaken she inclines a mind to cleave steadfastly to what it was imposed upon it by authority and imparts to a choice which though rash at the time is now irrevocable all the sanctity all the advisedness and let us say it boldly all the cheerfulness of a lawful calling here is a path so constructed that let a man approach it by what labyrinth of precipice he may he sets himself from that moment to walk in it with security and readiness and at once begins to draw towards a joyful end by this means gertrude might have proved a holy and contended nun however she had become one 
but instead of this the unhappy girl struggled under the yoke and thus felt it heavier and more galling an incessant recurrence to her lost liberty abhorrence of her present condition and a wearisome clinging to her desires which could never be satisfied these were the principal occupations of her mind she recalled over and over again the bitterness of the past rearranged in her mind all the circumstances by which she had reached her present situation and undid in thought a thousand times what she had done in act she accused herself of want of spirit and others of tyranny and perfidy and pined in secret she idolized and at the same time bewailed her beauty deplored a youth destined to struggle in a prolonged martyrdom and envied at times any woman in whatever rank with whatever acquirements who could freely enjoy these gifts in the world the sight of those nuns who had cooperated in bringing her hither was hateful to her she remembered the arts and contrivances they had made use of and repaid them with incivilities caprices and even with open reproaches these they were obliged to bear in silence for though the prince was willing enough to tyrannize over his daughter when he found it necessary to force her into the cloister yet having once obtained his purpose he would not so willingly allow others to assume authority over one of his family and any little rumor that might have reached his ears would have been an occasion for their losing his protection or perhaps unfortunately of changing a protector into an enemy it would seem that she might have felt some kind of leaning towards those other sisters who had not lent a hand in this foul system of intrigue and who without having desired her for a companion loved her as such and always good busy and cheerful showed her by their example that here too it was possible not only to live but to be happy but these also were hateful to her for another reason their consistent piety and contentment seemed to cast a reproof upon her disquietude and waywardness so that she never suffered an opportunity to escape of deriding them behind their backs as bigots or reviling them as hypocrites perhaps she would have been less averse to them had she known or guessed that the few black balls found in the urn which decided her acceptance had been put there by these very sisters she sometimes felt a little satisfaction in commanding in being courted by those within the monastery and visited most flatteringly by those without in accomplishing some undertaking in extending her protection in hearing herself styled the signora but what consolations were these the mind which feels their insufficiency would gladly at times add to them and enjoy with them the consolations of religion yet the one cannot be obtained by renouncing the other as a shipwrecked sailor who would cling to the plank which is to bring him safely to shore must relinquish his hold on the unsubstantial seaweed which natural instinct had taught him to grasp shortly after taking the veil gertrude had been appointed teacher of the young people who attended the convent for education and it may easily be imagined what would be their situation under such discipline her early companions had all left but the passions called into exercise by them still remained and in one way or the other the pupils were compelled to feel their full weight when she remembered that many of them were destined to that course of life of which she had lost every hope she indulged against the poor children a feeling of rancor which almost amounted to a desire of vengeance this feeling she manifested by keeping them under irritating them and depreciating in anticipation 
the pleasures which they one day hoped to enjoy any one who had heard with what arrogant displeasure she rebuked them at such times for any little fault would have imagined her a woman of undisciplined and injudicious temper on other occasions the same hatred for the rules and discipline of the cloister was displayed in fits of temper entirely different then she not only supported the noisy diversions of her pupils but excited them she would mingle in their games and make them more disorderly and joining in their conversations would imperceptibly lead them far beyond their intended limits if one of them happened to allude to the lady abbess's love of gossiping their teacher would imitate it at length and act like a scene in a comedy would mimic the expression of one nun and the manners of another and on these occasions would laugh immoderately but her laughter came not from her heart thus she passed several years of her life with neither leisure nor opportunity to make any change until to her misfortune an occasion unhappily presented itself among other privileges and distinctions accorded to her as a compensation for her not being a bess was the special grant of a bedchamber in a separate part of the monastery this side of the building adjoined a house inhabited by a young man of professedly abandoned character one of the many who in those days by the help of their retinues and bravos and by combinations with other villains were enabled up to a certain point to set a defiance public force and the authority of laws our manuscript merely gives him the name of egidio this man having from a little window which overlooked the courtyard seen gertrude occasionally passing or idly loitering there and allured rather than intimidated by the dangers and impiety of the act ventured one day to address her the miserable girl replied at first she experienced a lively but not unmixed satisfaction into the painful void of her soul was infused a powerful and continual stimulus a fresh principle as it were of vitality but this enjoyment was like the restorative draught which the ingenious cruelty of the ancients presented to a condemned criminal to strengthen him to bear the agonies of martyrdom a great change at the same time was observable in her whole deportment she became all at once more regular and tranquil less bitter and sarcastic and even showed herself friendly and affable so that the sisters congratulated each other on the happy change so far were they from imagining the real cause and from understanding that this new virtue was nothing else than hypocrisy added to her former failings this improvement however this external cleansing so to speak lasted but a short time at least with any steadiness or consistency she soon returned to her accustomed scorn and caprice and renewed her imprecations and raillery against her cloister prison expressed sometimes in language hitherto unheard in that place and from those lips nevertheless a season of repentance succeeded each outbreak and an endeavour to atone for it and wipe out its remembrance by additional courtesies and kindness the sisters were obliged to bear all these vicissitudes as they best could and attributed them to the wayward and fickle disposition of the signora for some time no one seemed to think any longer about these matters but one day the signora having had a dispute with a lay sister from some trifling irregularity continued to insult her so long beyond her usual bounds that the sister after having for some time gnawed the bit in silence could no longer keep her patience and threw out a hint that she knew something and would reveal it when an opportunity occurred 
From that moment, the signora had no peace. It was not long after that, one morning, the sister was in vain expected at her usual employment. She was sought in her cell. She was called loudly by many voices, but there was no reply. She was hunted and sought for diligently, here and there, above, below, from the cellar to the roof, but she was nowhere to be found. And who knows what conjectures might have been made, if, in searching for her, it had not happened that a large hole was discovered in the garden wall, which induced everyone to think that she had made her escape thence. Messengers were immediately dispatched in various directions to overtake her and bring her back. Every inquiry was made in the surrounding country, but there was never the slightest information about her. Perhaps they might have known more of her fate had they, instead of seeking at a distance, dug up the ground near at hand after many expressions of surprise because they never thought her a likely woman for such a deed after many arguments they concluded that she must have fled to some very great distance and because a sister happened once to say she must certainly have taken refuge in holland it was ever after said and maintained in the monastery that she had fled to holland the signora however did not seem to be of this opinion not that she manifested any disbelief or oppose the prevailing idea with her particular reasons if she had any certainly never were reasons better concealed now was there anything from which she more willingly abstained than from alluding to this event nor any matter in which she was less desirous to come to the bottom of the mystery but the less she spoke of it the more did it occupy her thoughts how often during the day did the image of the ill-fated nun rush unbidden into her mind and fix itself there, not easily to be removed. How often did she long to see the real and living being before her, rather than have her always in her thoughts, rather than be day and night in the company of that empty, terrible, impassable form. How often would she gladly have listened to her real voice, and borne her rebukes, whatever they might threaten, rather than be forever haunted in the depths of her mental ear by the imagery whisperings of that same voice and hear words to which it was useless to reply repeated with a pertinacity and an indefatigable perseverance of which no living being was ever capable it was about a year after this event that lucia was presented to the signora and had the interview with her which we have described the signora multiplied her inquiries about don rodrigo's persecution and had entered into particulars with a boldness which must have appeared worse than novel to lucia who had never imagined that the curiosity of nuns could be exercised on such subjects the opinions also which were mingled with these inquiries or which she allowed to appear were not less strange she seemed almost to ridicule lucia's great honour for the nobleman and asked whether he were deformed that he excited so much fear and would have esteemed her retiring disposition almost irrational and absurd if she had not beforehand given the preference to renzo and on this choice too she multiplied questions which astonished the poor girl and put her to blush perceiving however afterwards that she had given too free expression to her imagination she tried to correct and interpret her language differently but she could not divest lucia's mind of a disagreeable wonder and confused dread no sooner did the poor girl find herself alone with her mother then she opened her whole mind to her. But Agnes, being more experienced in a very few words, quieted her doubts and solved the mystery. 
don't be surprised said she when you know the world as well as i you'll not think it anything very wonderful great people some more some less some one way and some another have all a little oddity we must let them talk particularly when we have need of them we must pretend to be listening to them seriously as if they were saying very bright things didn't you hear how she silenced me almost as if i had uttered some great nonsense i was not a bit surprised at all they are all so however heaven be praised that she seems to have taken such a fancy to you and will really protect us as to the rest if you live my child and it falls to your lot to have anything more to do with gentlemen you'll understand it you'll understand it a desire to oblige the father guardian the pleasure of extending protection the thought of the good opinions that would result from so charitable an exercise of that protection a certain inclination for lucia added to a kind of relief she would feel in doing a kindness to an innocent creature and in assisting and comforting the oppressed were the inducements which had already inclined the signora to take an interest in the fate of these two poor fugitives in obedience to the others she gave and from regard to the anxiety she displayed they were lodged in the apartments of the portress adjoining the cloister and treated as if they were admitted into the service of the monastery both mother and daughter congratulated themselves on having so soon found a secure and honorable asylum and would gladly have remained unknown by everyone but this was not easy in a monastery more especially when there was a man determined to get information about one of them in whose mind vexation at having been foiled and deceived was added to his former passions and desires leaving the two women then in their retreat we were returned to this wretch's palace while he was waiting for the result of his inquitous undertaking. End of chapter 10, part 2